When you sent me packing down Green River Valley I knew that if you couldn't then No one would have Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Today we've got Dr. Joy Adams, the cellist in the quickly rocketing, skyrocketing, blossoming Colorado bluegrass band, Big Richard. You might be able to tell I'm a big fan of Big Richard because Joy is the third band member I've had on Mile High Stash uh, um, along with um, Bonnie Sims and Emma Rose. Um, Eve Panning will complete the Big Richard Pokemon set for us here soon. But today we've got the illustrious Dr. Joy Adams, whose doctorate is in the cello's role in traditional American music, specifically the Southern Appalachian music that predates bluegrass joy fucking schools you um and me about music but in a very chill kind of ski bum raised on a farm likes to smoke weed way and i love that about her um, um i also gave her some weed from the dab one of my life stash's sponsors so our little hangout session for my life stash was about as colorado as you can get uh today's episode of mile high stash featuring Joy Adams of Big Richard, is sponsored by Boulder's own amazing Beyond the Mountain Brewing Company. Um, I've played music there and also tasted their incredible beer and even hard seltzer, which surprisingly might be my favorite Beyond the Mountain uh, beverage. Beyond the Mountain's selection of expertly crafted beverages is music-themed. You might get the fish reference in the... uh, Beyond the Mountain name itself, and you'll hear a little bit more about it in a second. Um, anyway, here's my chat with Dr. Joy Adams of Big Richard, who you can see playing their uh, barn-burning badass bluegrass all over the United States this summer and hopefully for many years to come. Check them out on your streaming platforms as well, and also check out um, Big Richard uh, often on the Colorado Sound, my favorite radio station, and a great supporter of Mile High Stash. Beyond the Mountain Brewing grew out of a mutual love of music and brewing between two lifelong friends. The dream was to one day own a brewery that cultivated the camaraderie and spirit of both the craft beer and live music scenes. Charles Hickson and Morgan Way have been home brewing together since college and have a combined 10 years experience in the brewing industry, including positions at breweries in Denver and Boulder. To showcase their creativity and reflect the influence of improvisational music, Beyond the Mountain Brewing, right here in Boulder, focuses on one-off and experimental beers developed with innovation and creativity. Okay, so you did ask, and we do have a sponsor called The Dab. Do you know The Dab? No. They have like seven locations, and their their owner, Lance, is a veteran, and he's just one of the most outgoing, like, active-minded people. So he showed up at one of my gigs with a whole bunch of products for guests. So do you want some weed? Yes, I'll never say no to weed, Adam. I'm just going to hand you this bag. (laughs) You're not giving me the whole bag, are you? No, you choose one of those. Okay, um, I'm, I'm starting here? to learn these, these terms yeah. like flower, 
Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that term before. <laughs> so, and, it looks like um, it's probably all flower. It's all flower, but the th there's three different ones. Oh, um, weird. This one claims that it has... Huh. It wasn't until I had um, Andy Thorne on the show that I knew, like, like the three kinds of things that you look product. at. Ed yeah, like edible. THC content. Oh, oh. Oh, no, you said ed edible, flower, and wait, 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 let me, uh, the re re resin? Is that yeah. the third one? Yeah, that, yeah, that's what you vaporize yeah. in a dab yeah. form. Yeah. So my older brother... Um, is actually a pretty well-known glass blower. And oh yeah. He works in the dab rig industry, and he works yeah. for like you. Actually, he he stopped working for them recently, but he used to work for Mothership, and they're like the reigning king of the dab yeah. world. The like king, they, of, they like the Budweiser their, of dabs. Yeah, they sell know? their pieces for like the minimum is like six grand wow. for like one little glass thing that'll you can smoke dabs out of. Well, if there's anybody listening, where, where can they find? <laughs> Your brother's work. Oh man! If you look up Micadelic, I think that's his. Okay, that's his brand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I saw you. Um, just happened to run into you backstage at, at Foco MX. Yeah. And you were about to do a solo show, right? No, no, not really. It was billed as a solo show, but it yeah. was. Uh, it's actually my. Uh, a newer band of mine, a newer old band called Salome Songbird. Okay. And it does feature a lot of my original music. Um, but it's a trio, and it's all people I went to the University of Miami with. Uh -huh. So we had this band about seven years ago, and it was a cool, eclectic mix of like kind of jazzy, kind of classical, kind of, I don't know, indie singer-songwriter stuff. Mm. And then... Uh, I moved here and they stayed and it took me seven years of yeah. texting them pictures of mountains and moose right. and things like that. Being like, you could come to Colorado. It's so much better than Florida. And they finally moved here this past year. So we got yeah. the band back together and yeah, we were stoked to play Foco MX. This is the band with the scathing lullabies. Scathing lullabies yeah. is the genre. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so do you have three projects kind of like a big richard and and Salome songbird and then dr adams you know uh mm, you know what i think my third project is actually half pelican which is a band oh. i have with my husband andy reiner yeah and it's metal bluegrass nice so it's electric fiddle electric cello i have this cool like rammstein pedals it's all like Fuck crazy yeah. distortion uh, and then we have a great metal drummer, and it's bluegrass tunes, but it's played like that. So when, when's the next show for the <laughs> Half Pelican? For Half Pelican, we don't have any shows in the books. We play ski areas. Yeah. That's like we're a ski band. Yeah. So we play at Loveland a lot and uh, do a cool pass trade deal. We yeah. play a couple times, they give us a pass for yeah. it. So. I've never been a bluegrass guy. I come from Pittsburgh, so I'm <laughs> definitely from the punk rock world. Sure. The only bluegrass album that I've ever listened to um, a lot is this Iron Horse Metallica tribute. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I have not. It's it's fantastic. I mean, okay. the first the first one was so popular that they, they did a whole another one with more Metallica wow. songs. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. So let's start from the start. You're from Washington originally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What was your 
upbringing like there? Oh, man. I grew up uh, on a farm north of Spokane, Washington. And I grew up homeschooled in a really religious family. Mm. Uh, yeah, just kind of spent all my time on the farm. Wow. I think we would get out of it like once a week, maybe. <laughs> Was there a lot of music on the farm? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Everyone, everyone in the family played. Uh, we had a family string quartet for many years. Um, a lot of classical music. My mom's from Germany, so we learned some German folk songs, but that oh. was about the only thing outside of the classical realm. Yeah. Yeah. Were the German folk songs dark? Were they like... <laughs> as, as <laughs> like the dark. grim fairy tales? I remember one that was like, a little boy finds a rose on the vine, and he's like, how pretty, I'll pick it. And the rose talks back, and it's like, don't you dare, I'll stab you. Whoa. And he's like, I'll pick you anyway, and then she stabs him, and that's the end of the song. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a Clay Rose gasoline lollipop song, too. Totally, totally be yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did your parents do? Uh, my dad worked in medical administration, and uh-huh. my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah? Yeah, we raised, the, the farm was a working farm. So we raised chickens and turkeys by the hundreds. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't certified organic, but it was all organic practice. And yeah. we had goats and made things out of goat's milk, like soap, and sold that. And um, had honeybees and a mule. And yeah. How do you get from the farm to, you know, getting so into music that you want to study in college? Well... <laughs> The cello, I think, for me was sort of my, that was my ticket out of yeah. that scene. So I had, I had a path laid out for me, which is that I was supposed to get married when I was 18 or mm-hmm. so. And uh, it was looking like an arranged marriage. My parents kept talking about that. And, um, yeah, I, I saw a future where I was living in Spokane mm-hmm. with a family raising a bunch of kids. And at the same time, I uh, had gotten really serious about the cello. I started it late. I started it when I was 15, which is late by most classical standards. Mm-hmm. Most of my peers started when they were five. Um, and I, I loved it. I got obsessed with it. I practiced, I practiced seven hours a day. That was my average. From what age? Uh, 15. Oh, wow. And um, sometimes 10 hours. It was all I wanted to do. When I got in trouble, my parents would take the cello away from me. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're grounded from practicing. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does that. Um, and I had a, I had a really great cello teacher. This guy who teaches at Gonzaga University, uh, Kevin Heckmanpana, and he really took me under his wing, and he saw what was happening. I think with my home life, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh, Joy's gonna get stuck." So he started. Man, he was so clever about it. I appreciate that guy so much. I would get my assignment every week of like, here's your scales and your etudes and whatnot that you practice. And also, here's a DVD of all the Daily Show episodes from that Hmm. week, like Jon Stewart, Daily Show. So I had to watch those. And he was trying to like little by little pull me out of the religious sinkhole that I was in. Just to show you what's possible. Yeah, Yeah. and to try to free me a little bit. And then he really went to bat um, getting me to apply for colleges and getting scholarships for me and convinced people to donate money to my whole cause and got me into this cool music festival. Are you still close? 
Yeah, I still talk yeah. to him. I haven't talked to him in a in a hot second, but um, yeah, I still keep in touch with that guy and, and uh, still still feel like he's kind of a father figure in my wow. life. That guy's he's just an amazing uh, human being. Who Did you taught have any pushback me... though? From, oh yeah, from, from my your parents. parents. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like this guy's indoctrinating you. Yeah, man. My mom had all these crazy theories about what was going on, and I think I think there was, yeah, it was a threat. I was. Mm-hmm. I was getting pulled away. And the school I wanted to go to was in Rochester, New York. So, like, as far away as you could get from Spokane. And uh, I did wind up going there. And I remember my mom just being so mad. She, Mm. like, didn't want to drive me to the train station. Mm. She didn't want to pay for any of it. Uh, Yeah, She tried to talk you out of it? Yeah, man. She pulled me out of bed in the middle of the night called down curses from god upon wow. my life yeah it was crazy wow. and i was like well fuck you and i went anyways yeah best decision i ever made wow. i think yeah so my mother when i was 20 years old i said i was moving to san francisco and i knew one person there and i just needed to get out of pittsburgh because i remember being at my grandmother's funeral and looking around and every single person there had never lived anywhere else and i just wow. had this like crisis and i remember my mother she said to me the first thing was she asked if i was in a cult she says are are you in a cult because you're going to san francisco you must be no i'm not in a cult (laughs) you know and my family i don't think anyone had been to california before and then she said you're gonna get sent home in a body bag wow so it was was similar wow fear tactics Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's just somebody who loves you who doesn't understand what you're doing and mm-hmm. when you don't understand totally. something it's like a cockroach and you just want to like totally on yeah it. and and you know we've since my mom and i've since talked about all that and yeah and i think she's proud of what i've done at this point i yeah i think you're right it was scary to like especially to send your young daughter off to yeah. new york and she wasn't she wasn't going to follow me yeah you know so who's supposed to protect me um all those strange yeah. rochester people you know, know. it was a strange yeah. it was a culture shock for yeah. sure <laughs> i want to ask you for a, a piece of parenting advice okay it's gonna be totally <laughs> out of left field but um so my kid is 13 and she she and then it was they and now it's back to she but yeah um she's looking for that thing that she's so obsessed over you know that like you're saying we would have to take it away from her because when i was a kid it was the drums that when i would get in trouble my parents i would come home and my drums would be gone and i wouldn't know where they were wow and with with uh with my kid's mom it was ballet to the point that there was like a ballet bar installed in her bedroom wow and you just couldn't stop either of us when we were growing up from doing that thing so like if you don't have that thing that you and i had at that age how do you how do you find it man well i didn't have it at 13 yeah i was also floundering around and i went through i i guess i was lucky in that i've always been an obsessive person Mm -hmm. like i find something that i get interested in and gosh at 13 I was obsessed with aquariums. Yeah. So I would go to the library and I would read every single book on aquariums cover to cover. Mm. I could tell you anything you want to know about tropical fish. You still have fish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I've had fish like almost my whole life. I love them. 
They're very calming to watch. So I think, you know, just digging through any chasing anything that mm. like sparks your brain at all. Yeah. And uh, for you as a parent, yeah, man, that's that's tricky because at 13, like the kids don't, of course, you don't want to do what your parents recommend. You oh, want to yeah, do the exactly. opposite. So you kind of have yeah. to play a little game, maybe present things, but in a way where she can choose yeah. uh, and then just get out of the way, you know. It's so funny for people like us who were into things that our parents were against. And now we're trying to encourage our kids to do those things. <laughs> and there, you always rebel. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, you always it's rebel. Yeah, part of human know? nature, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. I'm glad I didn't, uh, yeah, my, you know, my form of rebellion was to play the cello. Come yeah. on. I could have yeah. gotten into drugs. I could have been sneaking out all the time. Uh, yeah, I could have done a whole lot of things. But So you get your undergrad at... Um, the Eastman School of Music. Okay. Yeah. And then what happens from there? Well, so my Eastman, Eastman was a cool place. It was very classical, very um, uh, in-the-box classical conservatory. And I loved it. But my senior year, I think it was my senior year, I was just drowning. It was just a lot. It was mm. competitive. You know, the cello and classical music, which had been my, like, water in the desert for so long, mm. was now an ocean, and I was drowning in it. And I was wandering around the streets at night, uh, kind of considering, like, breaking up with the whole thing. Yeah. It was like when you're in a relationship with someone, and you love them, but you know it's not working, and it's right. just heartbreaking because you have to remove yourself from the situation. So I was thinking about it, and... um there on a front porch it was like one in the morning and there were these two guys from school and they were playing old-time music like old-time southern appalachian music carter family so. yeah kind of mm. older than that even yeah. fiddle and banjo and i was like oh, i bet i could play that so i got my cello and i came back and i was like hey can i play a tune with you guys and they're like sure you could try so i sat down and we're talking this is like you know this music has one chord. Yeah. And it's just, it's a simple form, simple harmonies. And I couldn't hang. Mm. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't groove. Mm. I couldn't, I didn't know how to improvise. They don't teach you that stuff. No, totally. Mm. And I didn't know how to find the right chord. I, yeah. And I just fell on my face and I've been hooked on it ever yeah. since. And so suddenly there was an element of music that was like unfamiliar and I didn't know how to do it. And yeah, I just found my new drug, just went for it wholeheartedly. So I graduated and um, I was intending to just stay in Rochester and play with those guys. We had a band mm -hmm. and uh, I'm still in touch with them. The bass player, the guy who was playing banjo was actually the bass player in Sierra Farrell's band. Oh, now, great. Jeff Saunders. And uh, Zach Piper was the fiddle player. And um, my professor at the time was like, oh, no. Joyce stage, she's going to quit the cello. That's going to be the end of all this. What a waste of time. So he found a fellowship for me at the University of Miami. They had someone bail at the last second, and there was a whole full-ride scholarship to this grad program. And two weeks later, I was on a train going down to Florida. Like, what the hell yeah. am I doing now? But uh, Mark O'Connor was in residency at that school. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to study this. 
at, at an academic level. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. I'm obsessed with this music. Yeah. I'm going to learn everything that I can about it. But of course, the university route is like not the way to do that in old time music, uh, which I, I figured out. But I went to the University of Miami and I, I wound up staying there for master's and my doctorate. I really loved that school. It was, it was primarily a jazz university. Mm-hmm. So um, I really did get to dig into the improvising world and got challenged every day. Got to play in a cool ensemble that backed up like all these old pop stars. Like I got to play with Gloria Estefan, yeah. Chick Corea, Barry Manilow, like all these crazy people. It was just this like rich, diverse musical experience. And I hung on to it until I completed the final degree and couldn't hang on any longer. So what does it say on your degree? Uh, in... It's Doctor of Musical Arts in cello, in classical music. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a uh, cognate in music business, just kind of like a minor. Yeah. Um, yeah, had I been able to do a degree like in some form of improvising, like you can do at Berkeley, I totally mm. would have done that. Yeah. But it was just classical. So we'll pause in your story. Yeah. And I want to ask you this crazy question of um, if you were stranded in a cabin in the <laughs> remote mountains of Colorado, where like I'm sure you could picture a town in your mind. Do you have a town? Yeah. I, so I know your I know your assignment. You should yeah. just you should just finish <laughs> asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> and you only have. Food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, like, let me ask you the first two albums of, of your five. <laughs> okay. First of all, I, I hate this assignment so much. <laughs> I hate it. I I already own a Apocalypse Cabin in the Mountains. Oh. That's where I live full-time. And I have hundreds of albums. Yeah. So the idea of, like, Picking five? Are you kidding me? It's so hard. <laughs> you could pick five tomorrow oh, after you pick Yeah, five yeah, today. right. I would have my five, and then I'd be, like, making a beeline back to my my own house so mm. I could get the rest of my albums. Yeah. That's what I'd do. Um, if my, you survive the apocalypse. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, that's because, true. <laughs> you know. uh, my, I've always said that my desert island piece of music is the Brahms Fourth Symphony. Oh, why it's, that one? It's just the most dense lush piece of music and i have heard it probably thousands of times and i've played it a lot and every time i encounter this piece of music i hear something new that i never noticed before because brahms wrote in such thick layers just like layer upon layer upon layer like really interesting rhythmic things going on huge chord stacks that don't really make any sense and i just Oh, I get so lost in it. I love that piece of music. Cool. It's a good one. It's like a big river. <laughs> we'll put that up on the playlist. We have a playlist of, of Mile High Stash selections on, on Spotify. So we'll cool. put that on there. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Great piece of music. Uh, and then second album... Um, my other classical one on this list, uh, but it's actually Chris Thiele, the mandolin player from Nickel Creek and mm-hmm. Punch Brothers. He has an album of him playing the Bach uh, sonatas and partitas for violin oh, on wow. the mandolin. And that album, 
first of all, those are great pieces of music, and I love them played on the violin as yeah. intended. But on the mandolin, uh, yeah, he's able to grab those chords and sustain notes of the chords better than a violin can do. And so you get this new take on the harmonies that's just like mind-bending. And that's the album that I turn on when I'm struggling with When anything. you're struggling. Yeah, like mm. sitting in traffic on I-70, and I'm pissed about it. Turn on that album. Or when I'm hiking a big mountain, the last push to the summit, like those last yeah. 30 minutes or something where you just want to die. I yeah. turn on that album. That's Same Master of like, Puppets for me. That's yeah, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have that album. Oh, yeah. Go to your struggle album. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, two years ago, I was biking up the Trecime in Italy, which oh, wow. is one of the hardest climbs. It's um, it's on the Giro, and um, it's it's the climb that I put Eddie Merckx on the map, like like the cannibal, maybe the greatest cyclist of all time. Cool. And the end of it is just <laughs> two miles of pain. It's like as <laughs> steep as Magnolia, you know, but for yeah. just longer than the steepest part of magnolia is and you you stay on the bike for that you don't get off it doesn't count if you get off your bike. Okay. No. <laughs> you can take breaks take a little break but you know gotta stay on the yeah. bike um and i probably annoyed some of the other people on the tour because i had my little speaker and i put yeah i put master of puppets yep. on there and it, it helped me yep yeah. i'm yeah. sure i've annoyed many people <laughs> hiking with me like, oh, really? You're pulling out Bach again? Anyone who's hiked with me before knows to expect it. Well, you you're also literally skiing while playing the cello too. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother level. Yeah, that's another thing. I have uh, um, a really silly project where I'm carrying my cello up the 14ers. Playing Bach. Yeah, to play Bach on yeah. top because there's 36 of them of these solo pieces written by Bach for the cello so I'm gonna climb 36 14ers wow. I've got seven down that's got incredible long, got a long way to go have you done uh <laughs> Long's Peak yet no no I have climbed Long's Peak just not with the cello on my back yeah and it was a devastating climb yeah I uh it's long as the name uh would tell you but that last have you have you climbed it no, but it's on my mind because I'm I'm looking at, at buying this house in Longmont where I bet you can where see you it. can just it's a perfect view yeah. of the they call it the diamond. It's, yeah, a, it's totally. a perfect view. And I'm like, I gotta conquer that. I yeah, you, that. you have to be able to look at it and have yeah. a memory of being up there. Yeah. I don't think but I can take last... a drum set on my back though. You could take perfect. something, I bet. <laughs> the last little push, you get to this thing called uh oh man, what is that called? They all all the sections have names. But it's it's like a big slab climb. Mm. And so many people climb that mountain every year that the rock is kind of polished smooth now. Oh, Jesus. And uh, it's over like 200 feet of exposure or something. Yeah. So like if you, you're probably not going to fall, but if you fell, you'd fall for a really long time. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't make it out. So we hiked that and we got to the bottom of that section and I just sat there and cried for like mm. 20 minutes. It's like, I can't. Just, I hiked all this way, and I just the last thing I want to do in the whole world is go up that because I know I have to come back down, and I yeah. can't imagine coming down it. And like I, I'm a rock climber. I love 
I love rock climbing. But you can't scamper that. You need the the, all, the ropes and that. You need well, everything. that's what it looks. That's what it looks like. But there's nothing really to. Nobody climbs that section with ropes. I don't even know. You'd have to bring like trad gear up because there's yeah. no bolts in the rock or anything. Um, but like, I made myself go up. And at the top, there's this mountain goat who's just staring at you like, you wimp. Yeah, like, <laughs> this know? is easy. What you, yeah, yeah. They always make it look so easy. Those animals look so awkward. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know how they do, they do it. Yeah. Badass creatures. Love That's the evolution, goats. I think. Yeah. 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 It's wild little hooves. Yeah. So give me the Cliff's Notes version of, you know, um, you learn so much in Miami. You get your doctorate. And... You, you play with more famous musicians than I can even put on like a sheet of paper. <laughs> and um, you you end up out here. Yeah. And, and you work as a side person, <laughs> you know. And um, Nathaniel, somehow this crazy Big Richard thing. Yeah. Starts out. Yeah. So what part of the story do you do you want? <laughs> I mean, I guess from Miami to Big Richard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I wrapped up my degree in Miami, and uh, right around that time, uh, my husband Andy and I, we'd been friends for a long time, and we finally went on a camping trip and drank too much and mm-hmm. made out. And he was like, "You should probably move to Colorado." Mm-hmm. And he wasn't about to move to Miami. Uh, How did you meet him? We met at a fiddle camp. We were teaching at a fiddle camp at Berkeley Mm -hmm. in 2013, I think. And he was with someone else at the time, and I was with someone else at the time. And we just kept teaching at fiddle camps together over the summers. And, And it was like a situation where the same core group of faculty would teach at like seven camps in a row all mm. over the country. So we would just spend our summers together and he and I were always running after camp at night. Mm. We'd like let off some steam and go for a run. We'd like run to the bar, do shots, run to the next bar, do shots. Mm. It was just a silly, a silly thing. Uh, yeah. And just kind of developed this cool friendship and then realized we had feelings for each other. And, uh, I got offered a job in Miami teaching beginning violin to first through third grade girls at a Catholic school. Wow. And it was going to be a great job. Like, I was going to pay off my student loans with this job, and I was also probably going to quit music because it was going to kill me. Like, Mm. talk about the most soul-crushing. I don't know. There's people out there who are music educators and my hat is off to all of them because it's a tough job. I was not trained for it and yeah. I just, I, it was going to be a rough situation. So I just left Florida and moved to Colorado and I had zero gigs. I had nothing lined up. I knew a couple of people and uh, we moved to South Boulder into the house with like five other people in it and mm-hmm. it was kind of a disaster. And, uh, yeah, I started getting some gigs. My very first gig in Colorado was playing in a polka band on top of Keystone Resort. Yeah, exactly. I thought they were hazing me. Yeah. (laughs) Here, here I am, you know, coming in all hot with a doc, fresh doctorate, just like, I know everything. And I'm playing polka music. Uh, and the deal was there was, there was one night and if I played well enough, they would give me the second night. And I would 
I was going to make, if I could get both nights, I would make all of my rent in those nice. two gigs. It paid really well. So I just remember the first night, you know, we're playing, we basically played bluegrass tunes in a polka style. Mm-hmm. And the band leader looked at me and she was like, now yodel. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh crap, I don't know how to yodel. But I did something that sounded like yodeling and she was so amused. She hired me for the second night. That's great. Nothing like uh, Bonnie. I heard Bonnie's interview oh, yeah. where she like busted out a proper. Oh yeah. I didn't realize she had like a whole yodeling specialty. That's amazing. She has a lot of specialties. She does. She's a remarkable yeah, human yeah, being. Yeah. I love her. Okay, Cliff Notes version. Oh, man, here we go. So, yeah, I, um, I just started picking up more and more gigs in Colorado and playing with more people. got to play with the Daryl Anger Band for a couple years. That was really cool. He's, uh, do you remember the Turtle Island String Quartet? No. It's like no. the first jazz string quartet. Oh. Just ripping. So good. Uh, anyway, he was, he was one of the founding members of that group. So I got to play with him. That was very lucky. Got to play with Nathaniel Rateliff. Also very lucky. He's a, that guy's a remarkable human being. His whole band, they're all just really good people. Mm. Easy to work with, easy to play with. And um, yeah, I have You toured with them. Yeah, I toured with them right before the pandemic with Rachel Slyker. Yeah, Who was also on your podcast. That was also a good, good episode there. And uh, that all got cut short by the pandemic as many things did and that was that was tough we were 10 days into a like two-month international tour yeah and we flew back home and I was so depressed I was so bummed about everything I mean it was like the apocalypse you yeah know? speaking of this apocalypse yeah. scenario yeah. we already went through one and uh yeah, I put the cello down for like a month. That was the longest I've ever gone without playing the cello. Um, but I couldn't not play music. So I started playing mandolin at that time and watch Netflix and just play like one note at a time. Listen to Bach. Yeah, mm. listen to a lot of Bach. Mm. Now I'm trying to stumble through Bach on the mandolin. It's fun. But um, all of, you know, the Big Richard band came together for this gig and I think it was really possible because all of us were in town because of the pandemic no one was Mm -hmm. on tour right we're all all four of us are really busy musicians yeah and it's kind of a miracle that we were all just in the right place Mm -hmm. at the right time and I think you know we all everyone had all this pent-up energy of all kinds from this quarantine we'd just gone through so Getting in, I'll never forget getting in the room with those girls to practice a bunch of songs. I knew Eve and I knew Emma and I had met Bonnie, but I'd never really hung out with Bonnie. God damn, she's a force. She's a hoot. Yeah. All of of them are. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, Bonnie Sims, who we're talking about, is so fucking driven. Yeah. And some people are really good at music, and then some people are really good at like sending that timely email that you got to send yeah, aggressively. That's Bonnie, you for know, sure. and and Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eve's like super together. Okay, she's Classic. the only one I haven't had. Yeah, you gotta here, get so. you gotta get Eve yeah, on here. Yeah, you know, gotta catch them all. Yeah, Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always on the side of like 
I'm just a punk rock musician, you know, but every band that I'm in, I'm always that guy who's just like, or that person who's just like making shit happen because You're somebody on top has of it. To. Bonnie's got both of those things. Yeah. So do you feel like um, somebody who's more on, on the side of just the, I want to make the music sound good. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a huge space cadet. <laughs> I struggle to like, respond to any messages yeah. any of the time and it drives people nuts yeah. and i'm i'm really sorry that's uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm i probably i probably have undiagnosed add i uh i just my brain is always in a thousand places at once and it's always in a creative space yeah so for me you know i said earlier i get really obsessed with things so whatever i'm whatever obsession i'm chasing at the time that's like it takes up every ounce of my yeah. brain yeah and it's really hard to also function as a normal human being like to do my laundry and do my taxes and things yeah. like that so i that's like a thing i'm perpetually trying to balance it's hard well so i'm severely adhd which i it's like a disability and a superpower at the same yeah. time because yeah. i can like ultra focus on stuff and, and multitask but it's also overwhelming, mm. you know, and sometimes it it can make life difficult for the people around. Sure. You yeah. Yeah. Especially if, if, uh, if they're, you know, more on the normal side of the spectrum. I, I always feel like it's a superpower, especially when you're on stage in an improvising sense. Mm. Yeah. So what I love about the way my brain works and probably the way your brain works too, is that as you're playing, you know, you're like looking for things going by you in the river. Mm -hmm. And if your brain's really open, you just grab something and follow it down, right. down the ways. But if you are really focused, you know, you'll take an idea and you can just put the blinders on and like streamline everything. But that doesn't always make for like the most cool music. It's not going to groove, really, yeah, if, you, if you're groove. just going off and then going off and then going off. Right. And so yeah. I kind of I love my ability to be this like really open net just like looking for things to grab onto and, and it comes down to like one beat at a time mm -hmm. you know that kind of like where is the placement of the next beat like i'm literally thinking of that as it's yeah. going by and, and that's the most addicting part of music i think is that mm -hmm. like hyper uh, awareness of the the moment and all the possibilities of the next moment coming yeah that's cool i live for that well the only times I've felt like that are, are on stage, you know, and I can think of the times probably on one hand in my life where I felt like everything in the whole world disappeared and I was just on stage with these people in this song and I forget that I'm even alive, you know. Yeah. So there's that and then sometimes sex and then, and then like twice when I was meditating cool. it happened where you're just... A molecule, you're just a part of everything. And that's how I feel when I go skiing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, skiing is like that. Especially when you're in a uh, kind of precarious situation. Right. Skiing. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, there's the crazy amounts of fear of like, mm. well, I could die if I made the wrong turn in yeah. this wrong spot or I hit something. Yeah. Uh, and in that, you kind of use your fear as this like rocket fuel. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. helps you, like, the rest of the world and the rest of your life falls away. And it's just, like, one breath to the next breath and one 
movement to the next movement and it's like time standstill it's the most amazing experience and it's so addicting it changes a little bit if you ever have a kid i bet it changes a little bit (laughs) i don't want to go down sunshine canyon on my bike at 50 miles an hour but i still want to get that rush i still want to yep you know yep respect a little different totally (laughs) so i'm fascinated you know that that you gals you know and also with with other bands that you've played with that you can have this immersive improvisational experience without a drummer there as a net Mm. you know like that you're grooving but you're so in time like that i mean we have a kick-ass mandolin player yeah. She's basically a drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and the, and the like machine that is Bonnie and Emma on the bass. That's yeah. that's really the like heartbeat of the band. Yeah, and um, it is it's tough though. I I feel like every time I play with drums, a weight comes off your shoulders. You're mm. like, oh, I just get to like sit in this groove. What unless nice... the drummer sucks, then you're well, like, unless... oh, I can't actually yeah. lay in this groove. <laughs> yeah, man. There's a, there's some played with played with some people recently no i'm not even gonna say it i'm not gonna say that i don't want anyone to deduce who anyone is but yeah it's at some point in your life you played with someone totally at some point in my life i've played with a couple drummers where the time is like it's uh uh nebulous or yeah man well anybody listening to this who has played with me will say that there were times in my life that my (laughs) life was so stressful and nebulous that my time was very frustrating oh, to me. So I'll just say, you know. You know, I think that time, your relationship with time as a musician is like, uh, it's like your muscles in your body. You have to work on it all yeah. the time. Yeah. And you have to keep them in shape all the time. Yeah. And that's like a daily thing. And I, I talk about it with my students a lot, how like you have to sit down with a metronome. Yeah. Because you have to be able to tune yourself to a source of rhythm that's outside of your own body. Mm. And, like, our perception of time fluctuates with our heart rate. Mm. Like, if you go, if you listen to an album in here, we're, like, calm and sitting down, uh, you'll perceive it as a specific time. And then if you go run around the block and listen to the same album while you're running, it's going to sound slower because your heart rate's gone up. Yeah. And so you actually perceive time differently. So when you're on stage and you're like kind of nervous about things and your heart rate goes up, your perception of time is now wonky. Mm-hmm. And so if you only rely on your own physical perception of time on stage, you're, uh, you're set up to fail because mm. it's, your perception of time is altered. It's, it's weird, especially on stage in front of people. I could talk about just this for an hour. Oh, this me too. Oh, great. yeah. I can nerd out about it all yeah. day. So I always say, you know, you have to align yourself with um, a metronome, not not to, like, turn yourself into a computer or, or a robot, but to to um, align yourself with time outside of yourself. Yeah. And And when you're in a band, the other musicians are your metronome. You know, you're all creating a pocket together. Yeah. Like some kind of cohesive pocket. Uh, and you have to be able to do that. And how do you practice it except with a metronome but it's interesting. to an album or something? But it's interesting in bands because sometimes I know who not to 
focus Dude, on. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> when I'm playing with gasoline lollipops, Brad's time is awesome. The problem is if I play along with Brad and we lock in, Clay's time is as nebulous as my time. So I have to go with him and build this relationship with yeah. Clay. Yeah. So and and then there's all the other bands that I play with. So it's people. It's this yeah. it's this whole thing. And uh, a lot of people learn the drums specifically like I did. I never had a lesson, so I played along with music. Totally. Which is good for getting a feel. But However, also bad because you can make it rigid. Yes, but also when you're all of a sudden, it's just you. You're not playing along to something. People are playing along to you, and you're the foundation. That playing along to, mu- to music actually didn't help you. Interesting. You know, to develop your time. One of the exercises you know, that worked really well for me um, was instead of just playing along with a click, I had these MP3s I downloaded back in the age of iPods. Oh, yeah. And it had a click, and then the click would go away. Yeah, and then it would that's come back. A great, it's that a great game. Very, very <laughs> humbling. Yep. You know. Yeah. the The other thought is that you know you have to take whatever you're working with and make it groove as deeply as possible. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess I'm just not going to name names, but I played <laughs> with this uh, this great musician, local musician guy, mm. and uh, he has a really wow. How do I describe it? It's like a really, uh, I call it like accordion time, where it like mm-hmm. stretches and snaps back, yeah. or like an elastic band or something. But it's kind of unpredictable, and it's very like, it is cyclical. But it, then it has its. It's like every phrase has its own groove life, and then mm-hmm. the next phrase has a different groove life. And so playing with that guy and like really thinking deeply, like how do I. How do I like he and he would never hit a strong downbeat ever, never hmm. once. He was all about the offbeat world. Yeah. So how do you make that groove as deeply as possible? What can I do to make it groove deep without losing it, without getting mad about it? Too? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you think too much, I was I, I think about almost everything in sports terms. But when I um, am pitching or hitting in baseball, because I I have my own softball team cool um i've learned because i've played baseball since i was six or seven too that the worst thing that you can do is have really any thoughts in your mind except Mm. what you're doing at that time yeah if i'm thinking uh, throw a strike then i I can probably throw a strike but if i'm thinking like a few weeks ago we had a playoff game and i was thinking i really want us to finish in third place i want to get a bronze medal and then i couldn't throw strikes right right and um with music and specifically with time, it's similar as well. If I have all this other stuff on my mind, then I'm not laying a foundation down. People, especially Brad, you know, Brad will give me the, the evil eye. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Is Brad on? capable of giving an evil oh, eye? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. For <laughs> sure. He's one of the sweetest people. Yeah, for sure. Man. I wondered <laughs> that about drummers in particular because y'all seem to... Um, usually just lay down a groove like it's the law of the land Mm. and then people really have to uh sit within that you know yeah so i but i but i can feel when a drummer is like interacting with the things going on in the band Mm. and when a drummer is like no this is where it's at and i still prefer the drummer that's interactive i think 
I think there's a balance, and that's the best drummer is somebody who's got the energy and is rocking out, and like you're saying, is reacting, you know, but not necessarily going off. But on, not on tangents. Giving in too much. Yeah. Right, like you were alluding to before, is it? It's nice to react in a in a group improv session, you know, but not necessarily just take a tangent and it's like we're all of a sudden in another place yeah. that we can't come back from. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> gotta pick your people carefully. <laughs> yeah. Let's stay with a softball team. I gotta pick yeah, everybody totally. very carefully. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let me have, if you please, your number three and four sure. Apocalypse album. Uh, three is a Foghorn String Band album called Rattlesnake Tidal Wave. Whoa. Yeah. And the Foghorn String Band, uh, when I mentioned those buddies of mine who were playing old-time music on the porch. Yeah in Rochester. They at the time were obsessed with the Foghorn String Band, which is an old-time group from Portland, Oregon, of all places, which is not what you would associate with old-time music. Yeah. It's usually like a southern Appalachian region kind of thing. Um, but that was one of the first like non-classical albums that I just got like so obsessed with. It's got this crazy forward drive to the rhythm the whole way through and it's like mm. not the cleanest yeah. thing the fiddle plane's kind of wild on it and these tunes just have so much raw energy they have this bass player this uh, lady who just like it's got to be the grooviest driving bass player i've ever heard just so good and they kind of yell when they sing and it was just so different from anything i had ever heard before because it was just wild it's just wild and i just got obsessed with it so for the apocalypse cabin i gotta have a good banger old time album (laughs) that would be it it's funny how your life kind of came full circle i mean you talked about it before but you kind of rebelled by being into music and then you rebelled against the music that you were studying (laughs) And, and, uh, that actually kind of brings me to the next album, which is, uh, Tyler Childers, uh, Purgatory. Fuck yeah. Love that album so much. Get me drinking that moonshine, get me higher in the grocery bill, take my trouble to the high wall, throw them in the river and get your pill. We've been sniffing that cocaine, ain't nothing better when the wind cuts cold, and um have you seen him perform yeah yeah yeah. and i went to school with his bass player's wife his bass player is from pittsburgh which makes me feel oh cool yeah because every time he introduces him he's like the iron city bass player that's right you know craig berletta craig's awesome and uh his wife molly is just a super sweet human being yeah Uh, she went to university of miami as well and I remember hanging out with those guys. They were like some of the only other people in Miami who could play bluegrass tunes, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember Craig being like, yeah, I'm playing with this Tyler Childers guy. I think he's going to go places. Yeah. Like no one knew who he was at that point. Um, but I didn't really think much about it until he released this old time album called uh, Long Violent History during the pandemic. He plays kinda, the fiddle on it. Yeah, he it, plays right? the fiddle on it. And yeah. it's kind of out of left field. All of yeah. his fans are like, what the hell, man? You know? There's one song with words mm. on the on the whole thing, and it's about uh, 
it's it's kind of loosely about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, right, and trying to right. get people to see it. Like, what if this is one of our own yeah. people getting shot by the cops? What would we do? Yeah. So brilliant album. But I was like, wow, this dude has something to say. And then I just got obsessed with his music. And the thing about it is that it makes me feel, it makes me feel like I'm back home on the farm. Yeah. And that was something, my farm upbringing, you know, we would, we'd like show up to orchestra concerts and we're like dirty. We like open the Volkswagen van, and like hay falls out of it. Right. We're pulling the instruments <laughs> out. There's like feathers stuck to things. Mm. And I was just so ashamed of it all the time. Mm. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to be a homeschooled farm country person. And then there was something in Tyler's music that just made me proud of it. Mm. And it was like a big, deep kind of healing thing for me to get obsessed with his music and feel, I don't know, just feel like that was an okay, that was an okay way to grow up. Maybe even a good way to grow up. His voice is so powerful. So powerful. And so like raw. Just saw a fox outside the window. Oh, really? By the way. Where's Andy Thorne? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. We saw uh, Tyler at Red Rocks last year, and I had been really into his music but not seen him live. And, like, the emotion. I don't know how to describe it to people who haven't seen Tyler sing live, but it's kind of like he's screaming. It's very and, pure intention behind every yeah, word. Yeah. It's, like, so genuine. There isn't a drop of put on yeah, anything. Yeah. And... Yeah. When I think about the kinds of people that I grew up around, like the just country farmer people, that's how they are. There's, it's just like genuine, I don't know. They're kind or they're maybe kind of mean or whatever, but they're yeah. not, there's no pretenses about anything. No one's putting on anything. Yeah. And I love that kind of honesty. I miss it. And then he goes out and does a gospel album. I do. You know. A gospel album, but but within the gospel album are these little like, messages of like like that one uh song jubilee where he's he's like you know he gets up to heaven and there's hindus jews and muslims and baptists and whoever and like they're all wondering what they've been fighting about after all when the girl says she walked with jesus and doesn't he doesn't even mind that That he wasn't a blue-eyed man yeah Yeah, yeah. i love that i love that so much oh yeah that's a solid that yeah that album was good to listen to too because i've kind of missed you know if you grow up really religious and then you leave it there's certainly a hole left behind like Mm -hmm. what do you do for these like there's something about the old like hymns in the church Mm -hmm. you just can't really replace them with anything so for me um tyler's album that's can i take my hounds to heaven uh, that's kind of become my new batch of hymns to listen to. And nice. and they're great because they don't really, they're not too preachy. They're right. not like, I don't know, they're really palatable. I yeah. really, really love that album. It's a it, good one. It's not palatable to my kid. Oh, She's really? very sick of it. And yeah. <laughs> just anything remotely twangy, oh, she just goes, yeah. no, no. <laughs> but I was like that at that age you know, too. <laughs> maybe at some point. So Dr. Yeah. Adams... <laughs> Will you explain to me and our listeners the difference between a bluegrass tune and a traditional? Um, a bluegrass tune and a traditional. Well, there's traditional bluegrass. Oh, well, well, well then there's that so, too. So there's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. bluegrass as a genre is pretty broad. Yeah. And it depends on who you're talking to from what part of the country. Okay. Here in Colorado, 
if you say, oh, I love bluegrass, someone's like, yeah, I love green sky. You know, <laughs> that's jam grass to me. Well, yeah, and so, and yeah. The, so if you if you go if you bring that to North Carolina and you're yeah. sitting in someplace North Carolina and Mount Airy, for example, it's like one of the hearts of that that like old school traditional stuff, and you're like, yeah, I love Green Sky. They're like, what? That's not a bluegrass band. Right. Or you go to Boston, you say that they're like, oh, that's not. Or you then you take mm-hmm. a band from North Carolina and you're like, I love this band. And you go to Boston, you're like, that's bluegrass. They're like, no, it's not. Yeah. So like everyone's got their own version of what it means. Um, to me, traditional music is like the old school versions. So like for bluegrass, like the Doc Watson, Clarence Ashley kind of vibes or Carter family, yeah. like the, the, the foundations of those genres. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's tradition. There's bluegrass, and then there's trad. They'll call it trad grass. Yeah, something yeah. that's just really straight ahead. That's a hard question. I don't know no. really how to answer that. <laughs> well, I'm 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 just getting at this first song that I ever heard you sing, and that a lot of it was a lot of people's first exposure to Big Richard was the Greasy Coat song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like a bat out of hell. I mean, this this is like like for me. It was accessible um, because it was trad. Yeah. And it sounded like minor threat. Like yeah, it was totally. punk, yeah. like truly <laughs> punk rock. And, yeah. I, and I didn't know anything about you. I don't think I had, like, I'd probably seen you play with Nathaniel, but, but you know. And then I had this image of you as, like, you ever watch Deadwood? No. Calamity Jane. Oh, sure. Deadwood. Yeah. It's like, wow, she just she just came out of the frontier and is in this band, you know. And then you you know, Uh, and then you learn well, maybe if Calamity Jane was a ski bum and a doctor, you know. So (laughs) I'll take it. No, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. It's totally my vibe. So Greasy Coat is uh, an example of old time music. Old time. Old and and old time sounds very like too broad. People will be like, "Oh, old timey music." No, no, old time music, okay. or or another way to say it is Southern Appalachian music. That's the region it comes from, okay. and that predates bluegrass. So that's like, I mean, Carter family stuff is the old time music most people would know, you know. But like, but it goes back further. But it goes way back, yeah. way further, and my um. My doctoral research was actually about the cello's role in that music in mm. America. I thought it was going to be a really easy paper. That's why I picked that topic. I was like, this will be a 60-page paper. Mm. Done. Doctorate. Mm. It was like 250, no, 270 pages. I had to take an extra semester. Can we read it? Uh, yeah, I could send it to anyone. I should put it on, I should put it on a website is what I should do. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, it's it's dense and it's very like academic prose, so it's kind of hard to to stumble through. But it's 250 years of history of the cello playing in American fiddle music, wow. which I had no idea. It goes way back farther than the bass. It was the bass that you could carry. Yeah. You know, you could yeah. carry it eight miles to the dance, right, or whatever. You can't do that with a bass, a proper bass. So, um, yeah, but old time music is like. Uh, usually I say it's the older, drunker uncle of bluegrass, yeah. which is maybe a crass way to put it. Um, but it's just this. It's not about taking solos, and it's not about being flashy. It's about grooving till you mm. die. 
it's just this deep and that's i think the punk rock kind of totally aspect of it it's gritty and sometimes the topics of the songs like that greasy coat is about condoms it's like they used to make them i don't out wear of no sheep. greasy coat yeah, yeah, yeah out of yeah. sheep gut so yeah, like yeah. the greasy i don't drink i don't smoke i don't wear no greasy coat mm-hmm. it's about being like so pure that you wouldn't need a condom you know mm-hmm. you're a married person you don't need them anyway we had uh some people come up to us at strings and soul and they were like we love that tune you guys do greasy goat huh. <laughs> to be like no it's it is kind of about goat sheep well sheep ah, whatever <laughs> greasy coat <laughs> Yeah, that's a fun one. It's a rager. So you're working on your debut album. I don't know of any other band that didn't have an album, but (laughs) played every festival conceivable. That's pretty whack. So what's it like doing it kind of in reverse? Like you're already known, but now you're like, well, here's what we're going to write. Here's our (laughs) stuff. It's a mixed, it's kind of a double-edged sword, a mixed bag. It's uh, on one hand... We have all this confidence because we already know people are following us and they're mm-hmm. going to listen Yeah, and they're stoked. And we're so lucky to have like just the coolest group of fans behind yeah. us. Everyone I meet, they're just, they're, they're the best people. I'm stoked about them. And uh, so, so we were able to go into the studio with the confidence that like, whatever we do, they're going to be happy about. And that's yeah. a cool feeling to go into the studio with. Yeah. Because uh, oftentimes it's the opposite, you know. Mm. Um, but then on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, we've also made a name for ourselves by playing a lot of uh, trad tunes that aren't our own and mm. pop covers and like what happens when it's just original big richard and what does that even sound like yeah because we're all such different writers like wildly yeah. different writers it's, and and emma's not necessarily into bluegrass i know yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah so and 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 that might be a great thing because yeah. she's got her own sensibilities that she brings that's unique and, and you're gonna have bonnie and eve you're gonna have originals from all four of, yeah. of y'all yep yeah. it's a pretty even split down the board yeah. of how many each person has brought wow and you're gonna have some instrumental um yeah there's some instrumentals on there eve yeah. brought some really cool tunes that i just love they get stuck in my head um there's a couple instrumentals that i wrote as well and and then some co-writes that we all wrote together yeah. which was a really fun process i'm so excited i mean everyone's really excited i'm i'm stoked badass. about it i think it turned out from what i've heard so far it hasn't been fully mixed and mastered but yeah you have any cool. idea like maybe the fall i hope the fall you know yeah. the um we're trying to release it on vinyl and that just takes so long we went with a place in in um southern california called rainbow records okay and they are really fast and do amazing work no kidding so okay. that would be somebody to maybe, maybe get we'll in check touch that with. out yeah because the projected time we had was like nine months till vinyl production and they and did ours in a, in a month are you serious yeah cool was, well, thanks for that tip man yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rainbow without a w just just rainbow cool all right yeah yeah okay so your fifth and final album oh choice God. for your, your so this was so hard do you want to hear what my options were for number sure because i've yeah. got a lot of options Redhead Stranger by Willie Nelson. Nice. Solid. Can't get it out of my head ever. Uh, there's a Gillian Welch album called um, Hell Among the Yearlings. Just so good. Billie Eilish, Where Do We Go? When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Yeah. Uh, there's an old Peter, Paul, and Mary album. Um, 
in the wind. Is that what that's called? Yeah. Anyway, I'm just so I'm so torn. And then there and then there's also like fringy albums. Like I had a really deep Flint Biscuit phase. Oh really? And I still go back and listen to that stuff pretty regularly. I'm, su- I'm Much surprised your brain survived about. that. <laughs> 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 Have you watched any of, of the like uh, the Limp Biscuit reunion shows recently? No, I've yeah. heard mixed reviews yeah. on them. I've heard it wasn't good. I mean, I was never a fan, so I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Sorry. had a I had a really wacky during high school. It was like Limp Biscuit and System of a Down. That was like my like my older brother was listening to that stuff yeah. and whatever he did I thought was cool so I went. We all have stuff that we were really into as kids. Yeah. And then like no matter how our tastes change, it's probably something that if we so heard nostalgic. now out of the blue we would say this sucks. But we have this part of our brain that's like yeah. this is still amazing. Oh yeah. So yeah. when I turn on System of Down, I'm like I don't know what any of these lyrics mean. Yeah. I can't even understand most of them. They're so weird. The al- the music is like almost a little schizophrenic, just like all. He's over. a cool guy, though. Cool. Really? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I have to pick the Gilly Welch album, yeah. All Among the Yearlings. And it's a. She. Her music kind of gives me the same feeling that Tyler Childers does just this like yeah. real deep familiarity it's genuine super genuine and real they're just the stories are are real honest and yeah. I like that and I always feel like when I listen if I'm in a rut where I'm listening to a lot of Gillian Welch my songwriting is so much better hmm. just by like absorbing some of those phrasing techniques and things so Scathing yeah. lullabies. Scathing lullabies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah. And I'm glad we could um, do this in person. Um, oh, one last question, because I'm going to ask all four of you this question. <laughs> Is Big Richard the Spice Girls of Bluegrass or the Powerpuff Girls <laughs> of Bluegrass? Well, I know Bonnie already told you, but uh, the sound engineer, Amanda, and I already have a ski club called the powder right. buff girls yeah, yeah. where we smoke weed and we ski powder well it's good you got some more weed got some more weed tonight. for the powder yeah. buff girls it's perfect <laughs> um we even got matching tattoos of our the logo of our favorite ski area that's great just a couple weeks ago i feel like the i feel like big richard is pretty spice girls vibes though we've had yeah people have been comparing us to the spice girls since like day one yeah bluegrass spice girls <laughs> All four of you are, you know, you definitely have like your own vibe, not only musically, but aesthetically and yeah, personalities. And all totally. That. Yeah. yeah. People have been talking about making trading cards for each member of the band, which is the silliest. I'm thinking action figures. So, you know, so, so, probably, yeah. You know. <laughs> Little bobbleheads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would they even have? I feel like Eves would be like very well dressed and would have her, her cute dog. Well, they'd have to come uh, with the accessories. Like I got this yeah, right? John Lennon Funko over here that you know that comes with the glasses and the guitar. Yep, totally. You know, yeah. Bonnie would probably have like a little horse. She'd be like a little cowboy. I bet. <laughs> I could have a button that would make her yodel. To me. Yeah, that would totally. be great. Yeah. <laughs> Emma would maybe just be a tattoo artist. I feel like that that might be a 
thing Emma hasn't. I, per, I deeply wish that Emma would be a tattoo artist because she's such a good artist anyways. Mm. She designed so many of the original Big Richard uh, shirts and stickers and oh, things. Nice. And she, I mean, you've seen her. She's like covered in tattoos. Oh, yeah. She loves tattoos. She has great tattoos. Yeah. yeah Some I people feel like, are covered in tattoos, but they're not good. Like she is. <laughs> right, yeah, good totally. <laughs> I feel like she could just maybe be a tattoo artist in another life and she would kick ass at it. Yeah, and then Eve uh, Eve used to be a school teacher, so maybe she would have some school teacher things, a little apple. Well, now I don't know. Now you're on, on the way to like a Spice World type movie where you, you have the, your band, but then you each have these other things that you do. Yeah, totally. So, you I'm know. so divided between the skiing world and all of this. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this, and I can't wait to hear the record. I'm cool. Really yeah, me too. Thanks. Good to talk to you. I'll give you another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away, leave you to fall. That was Dr. Joy Adams of Big Richard talking with me about music, marijuana, and much more. Uh, check out Big Richard coming to a town near you very soon and debuting their first original album soon as well. Uh, thanks again to Boulder's very own Beyond the Mountain Brewing for sponsoring this episode of My Last Stash. I'll say it again because it's true. To showcase their creativity and reflect the influence of improvisational music, Beyond the Mountain Brewing focuses on one-off and experimental beers developed with innovation and creativity. Beyond the Mountain, right here in Boulder, also hosts live music, so stop by soon. Thanks for listening to Mile High Stash, and we'll see you right here again next week. I'm old-fashioned, I just don't share your passion for ever change.